psalm uh, this morning uh, as he speaks of the Son and uh, the, the glory of God that is proclaimed by it. And what we're feeling is the impact that God speaks to us uh, through creation, that there is a general and a natural revelation that comes to us simply because we are humans made in the image of God. We are created in the image of God, and we are receptive to what David has experienced here. Uh, one pastor, Richard Ramsey, he speaks of, of this experience, the same experience of David here as well in his apologetics book, The Certainty of the Faith. Uh, and in this book, he talks about how he was a freshman in college and he enrolls in a philosophy class. And the, the first day of class, uh, the professor uh, asks this question. He says, how many of you believe in God? And about half the class uh, raises their hand. And no doubt there's probably a few people uh, who just were, were too uh, shy or, or nervous to, to participate in the, the poll or to make themselves targets of the professor's attention. But the professor said this, he says, I hope that by the end of the semester, all of you will see there is no reason to believe in God. And so the semester went. Every week, uh, the professor worked in every lecture to devote his time to deconstructing the student's confidence in the existence of God. Well, uh, Ramsey struggled greatly throughout the entire class as at 18 years of age, uh, he's confronted with a professor who year in and year out uh, hones his arguments and uh, this is his job this is what he does so he's confronted with confusion and, and doubts and he has a growing booklet of class notes while he started taking long walks around campus and he's pondering these things he's he's asking whether god existed until one night uh, he decided to simply lay down in the grass and look up at the stars. And he says this, he says there were thousands of them sparkling like diamonds. And I sensed the endlessness of the universe as well as my smallness. Suddenly, I knew God was there. He felt as if his quickly derailing train had been put back onto its tracks it was running smoothly once again. And he says, I walked home that night with a sense of joy and peace that I had never felt before. Not only did I know God was there, I knew God. Well, what happened to Richard Ramsey that night? Was it a new philosophical argument? Well, no. Certainly, Ramsey would go on to study theology and apologetics he received masters and, and doctorate degrees uh, to defend the christian faith but what happened this night to him well i believe he had a very similar experience that king david speaks of in this psalm uh, something david experiences something i have experienced and many of you have probably experienced as well the glory and majesty of god communicated to us in a deep sense because we are made in the image of God and we are designed and creative to be receptive to knowing God. God reveals to us himself. Uh, look in, in verses 1 through 6, I want us to see two 
things here clearly. First, the message of creation. And second, the joy of created purpose. The message of creation and then the joy of created purpose. So in verses 1 through 4, we have this message of creation. And there's four characteristics uh, to this message. It has a content to it. It has a constancy to it. Uh, There's the manner it happens. And there's the scope as well. Content, constancy, manner, and scope. Look with me again in verse 1. What is the content of this declaration? David says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. He says, the heavens are speaking to us. Creation speaks of God's glory, both his majestic attributes and his glorious handiwork. And by the heavens, David means from his vantage point, the sky, the sun, the moon, the stars, the great expanse of space, all the vastness and the grandeur of God's created cosmos speaks to us about God and his glory. Uh, This declaring, David says, is like a great piece of art. And you might have seen great pieces of art and it's still covered by the cloth and everybody's gathered around and then they they grab it and they they throw it off and everybody gasps as they, they start to take in the art piece. And we'll say things like, who was the genius who made this? It's breathtaking, it's glorious. But the art always makes us ask the question, What about the artist? How much more glorious is the one who made this in order to do this than simply the piece of art? How much creativity and genius does it take to have the heavens on a clear winter night? I know many of you experience uh, the stars at night in Huntsville with all the lights, um, but hopefully you've taken some time at some point to go camping and especially and it's cold, but camping in the winter away from the city, uh, perhaps on a mountain and looked up and, and fully taken in uh, all that is uh, the night sky uh, with the countless stars that are there. So the glory that is pressed on us when we see the heavens is what David is experiencing What does David mean to say that the heavens declare the glory of God? What is glory? Well, glory is one of those words that we we use a lot, uh, and we're tempted to define glory with glory. It it just means glory. But more concretely, uh, glory is heaviness, weightiness. Uh, The word even sounds that way, kavod, uh, the weight of the majesty and the honor that a person deserves, the gravitational pull of glory in the Lord. Glory is that overwhelming sense of awe that you feel when you look at the night sky. And it's the heavens constantly reminding us that we are small and that God is big. That feeling is the weight of glory. Glory says that God our Father is central. That all of life should be organized around him. All of life should orbit God and not us. Paul, in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, defines the heavens 
message this way. He says, God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. God is sovereign in power. He is the sovereign creator. So think for a minute of all the power and the energy potential contained in the entire universe. It's mind-boggling. And God is the sovereign power behind this. Every second of the day, he is upholding and sustaining every star, every comet, every person and, and soul, and everything in existence and creation. And what's more, this has no draining impact on it. It does not fatigue God to sustain and uphold the universe. God is not one extra kitchen appliance from having the cutoff switch happen, from tripping the breaker switch. But God is not just power. He's not just might. Paul in Romans 1 is only arguing that we clearly see the utter transcendent power of God. But creation is also a handiwork. Now, what's a handiwork? David says the sky is proclaiming the handiwork of God. Handiwork is craftsman language. God in scripture is frequently alluded to as this master craftsman. Every time the sun rises, the earth is like artwork. That is, it's like a well-lit painting in a museum. So God speaks by his powerful creative word. He says, let there be, do it again, and it is. Colossians 1 says that all things were made by and through and for Jesus. So the Father is this grand creative architect. Christ is the builder and the Holy Spirit breathes in life into all creation. So it takes the grand handiwork of a Trinitarian God to understand the message of creation. So I ask you, do you have active areas in your life where you allow the majesty the glory of God to be pressed deeply into your heart? Do you, like David, take the time to praise and pause and allow the message of glory to be worked deeply into you? And I would encourage you to take time to do this, to take time to actively think about the glory of God who creates and sustains the universe. And ask God by his spirit to work in you awe in his craftsmanship. And this can be very small by looking at the human eye or the butterfly or the hummingbird, or this can be very large and looking at supernovas and uh, galaxies. Look with me in verse 2. David says, Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. To understand the second aspect creation, we need to think about children. Uh, for a minute. I recently was checking out in the checkout line. They always put the things children want. So I have a 14 month old and one of his words is ball. And he said, ball, 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 
ball, ball. And that continued for the 15 minutes of the Hobby Lobby checkout line. A child never tires to say, do it again. Who's ever started the, I'm going to pick up and, and throw my, my child in the air? Well, you have committed yourself to, to heavy exercise at that point. Because uh, a child always says, do it again. That gave me joy and delight. Do it again. Well, this is what the heavens do. There's a constancy to the chatter of creation. It speaks constantly to us. Every sunrise, every sunset, every moment of every day and night, creation is speaking of the glory of God. And just like the child in the grocery store, it will speak to you every moment of your entire life until you acknowledge it. (laughs) Creation is always speaking, but are you listening is a question David David would have us ask. So take a time to reflect on the ordinary world around you and turn it back into praise for God, consciously acknowledging creation, allowing God's goodness and majesty and glory to constantly be poured out in creation's speech. So when you read your Bible in the morning, if the weather is nice, read it outside. Enjoy the beauty of the tapestry of creation. Uh, Encourage one another by saying things like, what a wonderful morning, but not just what a wonderful morning, what a wonderful morning the Lord has made. What a beautiful sunset that God has given us. What a powerful and mighty waterfall that shows the might of God. Allow everything around you to feel your smallness and his greatness. Creation has a message with content, is constant, but there's also a manner to how it's communicated. General revelation has its limitations to it. Look with me in verse 3. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. And this is one of the hardest phrases in this psalm, but the idea is to clarify how creation speaks. David's saying there is no audible speech. There's no audible words. Creation does not have vocal cords. It does not write things. Creation is always speaking, but it's not real human language. Its utterances can only be general. There is no John 3.16 of general revelation. The stars, the mountains, the design of the bumblebee, the way the hummingbird flies does not tell us what scripture tells us. It does not tell us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So everything creation says is clear, but it's also less specific and non-redemptive. Christian, uh, general revelation, creation cannot redeem sinners or show us the way of salvation. Remember Romans 1, it's specifically the divine power and glory of God that is displayed there. And just as you can tell a lot about an artist from his painting, you still must read their biography if you are really to get to know them. This may cause some controversy for art lovers, but when I'm at a museum, a lot of my time is spent reading the little plaques 
underneath the artwork. So most of my time is trying to find text and things to read, even as much as I'm taking in the paintings. Because what do you find there? You find the artist's name, a little bit about them, what the painting is about, because there's a limit reach to what kinds of things can be communicated without words, without language. We were made and created to be creatures of language. But you would not go to an art museum just to read the inscriptions. You would lose something of the impact of the purpose of the art itself if you took it all off the walls and just had the text. They both belong there. Both the painting, general revelation, and written, special revelation, has its uh, purposes, uh, even primacy to scripture. But we're in general revelation right now. We'll, we'll move in that direction. Our fourth attribute comes in uh, verse 4 at the beginning. We see the scope of creational revelation. David says, Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. There is a universal extent to the message of creation. All people everywhere have had clearly communicated to them that there is a God, that he is glorious, and that he is the creator. Now, the message is clear, but we have an issue. The sinfulness of human hearts. All people everywhere suppress, distort, and find ways around this knowledge. There's universal knowledge of God. There's also universal idolatry and suppression of this knowledge. All people everywhere are held accountable and responsible for the rejection of this message. But from the very beginning, however, Adam quickly received special revelation in the Garden of Eden. And since the fall, the limits, the limits to this general revelation are even more severe uh, due to sin. So we need special and redemptive revelation. We need the proclamation of the gospel. And that is a particular calling of ministers, of Christian teachers, of mothers, of fathers, each in their own calling, each in our own call, we must proclaim God's revelation to our children, to ourselves, to our neighbor. You cannot just look at creation and come to a true understanding of religion. You will construct an idol because sin has blinded our minds and gives us a misrepresentation. It distorts, it hides and we inevitably create a God in our own image. Uh, French rationalists come up with a French rationalist God. German rationalists come up with a German rationalist God. And 21st century Americans come up with a Hollywood God. So what are we to do? We need a redemptive revelation. This is why this is not the whole psalm and david continues in this psalm uh, to to move towards scripture and we need that but think again with me about richard ramsey so he has this testimony of seeing the stars of having this assurance of the power and the presence of god but this did not happen in a vacuum in his life why did he walk away 
converted or at least granted a, a newfound assurance. We just said general revelation was nonspecific. It's not redemptive. Well, what's the explanation? Well, he actually relays that he had been told throughout his life the gospel. He had been in a Christian family. He had been told the gospel. He knew who Jesus was. It was the Holy Spirit seizing the means of the tapestry of the stars to drive home in his heart the truth that he had heard from childhood. It was the scripture. It was the gospel preached, which made him wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So we do not know when God and his sovereign timing will work to bring salvation or renewed assurance. He is faithful. The Spirit will do this. So brothers and sisters, I encourage you to share gospel seeds, to sow lavishly the knowledge of Christ to others. We do not know when the Holy Spirit will act. So pray for those who wander. They need a relationship that Christ brings. They need to be a creature worshiping their creator in Christ Jesus. This brings us to our final point, the joy of created purpose in verses 4 through 6. David doesn't just give us a theology of general revelation. He gives us the poetry of it, the impact of it. We know that creation is glorifying God. All of it is. But David gives us a specific example. He picks something big and ever-present in our lives, the sun. How does the sun do its work as a creature to proclaim God? Helpfully, David reminds us the sun is a creature, not to be worshipped, not to be reverenced in itself. Uh, David doesn't become confused about the sun being a creature whose main job is to point away from itself. No, he uses metaphors. He says the sun is like something. What is the sun like? Look in verses 4 through 6. The sun is like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, like a strong man. It runs its course with joy. It rises from the ends of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hid from its heat. David is giving us a powerful image of the sun rejoicing. Rejoicing to do what it was designed to do. The sun is rejoicing to do what it's designed to do. Creation is not meaningless. It has a task, a mission, and a purpose. Creation from the least to the greatest part of it delights in its purpose. So how is this spectacular? How can this be life-changing, even provocative for David to be talking about creation, delighting to serve its creator? Well, let us ask ourselves, what if David is wrong? What if creation really isn't delighting to serve its creator? What if there's no meaning? Well, we would call that secular, materialistic, uh, natural worldview. David is recognizing the meaning, the purposefulness of a world where our God and Father is the majestic, personal, infinite thinking, knowing, and relational God. This world has meaning. 
So let's track with this for a moment, and then we'll flip it on its head to see what if this is not true. So the sun is running its course with joy. It's like a husband happily married, at a good family night, leaving the house with a hug and a kiss in the morning. The sun is like a strong man running his race, fully prepared, full of energy, ready to set a new record, to win the prize. He has goals. There is a joy to purpose of being fully equipped to do your job, of working on behalf of such a great creator, of accomplishing exactly what you were meant to do and what you look forward to doing. Think of the difference it makes when you're getting out of bed uh, in the morning when you have nothing to do versus getting out of bed when you know you have a job interview or a person that you love to meet for coffee. Uh, Getting out of bed to run the race you've been preparing for. Now let's flip the script. What are the images, what's the poetry of a naturalistic, materialistic world? No longer are the images of purpose. No, it's a language of chance, of time, of randomness, and ultimately purposelessness. There's a crippling effect to not knowing your purpose. Dr. James Anderson and his review of The Atheist's Guide to Reality by Alex Rosenberg, the committed atheist, shows how Rosenberg actually gets to the heart of the difference between the value and purpose of living in God's creation versus the cold, valueless, and emptiness of a godless vacuum. His goal is to get people to start acting consistently with their worldview. So Rosenberg answers a series of questions that shows what happens if we consistently ignore the image of God in us and ignore the revelation that comes to us through creation. That creation calls out to the glory of its creator. Rosenberg states, Is there a God? No. What is the purpose of the universe? There is none. What is the meaning of life? Ditto. Why am I here? Just dumb luck. Is there a soul? Is it immortal? Are you kidding? What happens when we die? Everything pretty much goes on as before, except us. What is the difference between right and wrong, good and bad? There is no moral difference between them. Does history have any meaning or purpose? No, it's full of sound and fury, but signifies nothing. It's a bleak, purposeless, meaningless picture. It's the picture of someone who is consistently living where the message of the glory of God has been suppressed and systematically exterminated from every area of of life. And we are back in Romans 1, verses 18 through 22. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived 
ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they become fools. It's a bleak picture of a heart hardened against God's revealing himself in creation. Well, thankfully, most of our neighbors, friends, and co-workers are not nearly as self-consistent as Rosenberg is. And there's a real bridge here when there are cracks in the armor of the suppression of God to offer neighbors the purpose and the meaning that they can know only can be fulfilled by a personal transcendent God. But do not forget the limited nature of creation. It has limits and we are fallen. So we go off into general spirituality and we search for transcendence in all the wrong places. We make up God in our own image. So if we just substitute a general revelation for the Bible, there are going to be uh, idols that we form from these things. But praise God, there's very few self-consistent, hard atheists who think uh, love is a facade. But there are many spiritual people Spiritual, not religious people. But that's cheating, isn't it? It's cheating to have the joy of a created purpose when we do not honor our creator, when we are not in a relationship with our creator and king. No, we must have the joy of having our father in Christ through Christ Jesus. And this is the hope of every Christian. And you have a touch point with everyone you encounter made in the image of God. Everyone is looking for meaning. They're just looking for it in all the wrong places. And we have a compelling message. But people cheat, looking at creation apart from their maker. Draw people's eyes to the joy, to the hope, to the meaning and purpose that comes from knowing a sovereign God who became man, who died on our behalf in order that we might be sons and daughters of our Father in heaven. It's infectious to have a tireless warmth that comes from being a part of something bigger than just serving ourselves. So as you read Psalm 19, remember the sunrises you've experienced, the beautiful sunsets you have seen, to the gift of mountaintops and being a human who feels the need for transcendence. You know God's creation. You know you have a creator. You know as a creature of God that meaninglessness is not the answer. You have a soul and a purpose and a creator. You owe your love and allegiance to him because he is glorious. And if you know him, you know he has blessed you through Christ Jesus. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. You have made us a people designed to be in fellowship with you. And we know, Lord, that sin separates us from fellowship with you. 
Sin darkens our minds to the glories of creation. So, Lord, we ask by your spirit that you would press in our hearts awe at you as a sovereign creator, that we would love you because you have loved us in Christ, that you have rescued and redeemed us from being separated from you, that you have enlightened our minds, that you have moved us from darkness to light in Christ Jesus. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.